Hey, over the next uh, few minutes, um, uh, you know, just before, like next week we're jumping into a new series. We're going to spend a couple of weeks, seven weeks actually, of the summer uh, in a series called Summer on the Mount. Um, Clever wordplay there. But we're going to be discussing the actual Sermon on the Mount and breaking that down. It's one of Jesus' greatest uh, sermons that he ever preached. Long sermon. Um, but we're going we're gonna to break it down and kind of see where that applies to our life and what that means. But today, I just want to kind of take a break in between series um, and just, just kind of speak out of some stuff from, from my heart and some stuff that I've been processing and for a long time and, and share, share some things that I hope maybe, maybe will stick with you too and be an encouragement today. So I hope that today you walk out of here encouraged. That is, that is my goal today. Everybody good with that? I'm not going to beat you over the head. You should never feel defeated when you leave church. You should always feel like God is on your side and he cares for you and loves you. And that's what we're going to do today. One of, one of my most favorite um, stories in the scripture, I always find myself going right back to it, but I love the Exodus story. And, and it, is a, it is a story of God releasing his people from bondage and from slavery and moving them and transitioning them into the promised land of what is now Israel. And I love this, this whole transition of what, what takes place over all these years of God working on His people to say things like, I hear your cries. And God heard the cries of, of the people of Israel. As the Hebrew people are in bondage, Egypt is taking control, and things have gotten really brutal. And they cry out, and they spend... 400 years in slavery. And sometimes over these 400 years, you've got to ask, man, is, is God really listening to us? Are we really His people? Because I don't, I don't feel like He's hearing me. But God would, as God always does, gives a solution to the problem in, in a form that nobody ever saw, but there was a baby named, anybody know the baby's name? Moses. And, you know, Moses is, is from day one has kind of got a mark on him that this is not going to go well because the Pharaoh is so scared of the Hebrew children that he wants to get rid of them. So Moses' mother has to make a decision to either let him be killed or to release him in hopes that God's going to take care of it. So she puts him in a basket. And we know that um, eventually Moses gets picked up um, by, by the Pharaoh's daughter and, and she will raise him. But before she can raise him, I always felt like this is a pretty... Uh, fascinating fact of the scripture but the, this Moses would be given back to his mom without them knowing and she would feed him and take care of him and nurse him until he was old enough to take care of himself and they would send him right back into Egypt so he had the highest of trainings he's a Hebrew that's being treated as an Egyptian and he goes through his life thinking that he's Hebrew and then, he, I mean, thinking he's Egyptian. And eventually he's going to put two and two together that these are my people. And I'm watching my people be mistreated, mishandled, and I've got to do something about it. And one day his anger gets the best of him. He sees an Egyptian um, soldier beating a, a Hebrew and he can't take it anymore, and there's something within him that says this can't take place, and so he retaliates, makes a really bad decision, and Moses ends up going on the run, and he flees to this place called Midian, and we pick up the story in Exodus where he is in Midian, and he's walking around, 
and he becomes a shepherd and he gets married and we don't read a whole lot about his wife and uh, maybe one Sunday when kids aren't in here we'll talk about the what the bad argument that happened that the two of them would split it's actually kind of interesting but they, they he, he gets he gets um, married and, and he's kind of established his life here but he was running from the very thing that God was trying to put him to that God had put him in this place to really change the course of history and one day Moses is out in the desert and he's walking around and boom there's a bush that is on fire and it's burning and that's you know, not really a strange coincidence because, you know, it's very hot in the desert and things can just spontaneously start burning. But the difference was this one started talking to him. Right? And that's when you think, I must be dehydrated because this bush is talking to me. Because honestly, if I walked up to the school this morning and you were standing outside talking to a bush, we're going to call you some help. Okay? Well, no, listen, Pastor Robbie, I'm telling you, God is speaking through this bush to me. All right, you just stay out here. Um, we're going to have somebody come and grab you in just a minute and pray for you. But he's speaking to this bush and he recognizes it is the voice of God. And God gives him this command. That Moses, you're running from what I've called you to. What you're going to do is you are going to pack your things and you're going back to Egypt and you're going to look Pharaoh in his face and say, let my people go. And obviously we know that story, but we also know that Moses spent a lot of time making excuses. Well, God, I can't talk. I have a stuttering issue. I, I, I'm not the guy for you. And he says, fine, then we'll take your brother Aaron. He can, go, he can help you out. And so Moses gets the courage, and I can imagine with each step, because he's a wanted man. There's wanted posters all over Egypt of this guy. And he gets back, and he stands before the Pharaoh in total confidence and bravery and says, God told me I got a message for you and your gods, and here's your message. You let his people go. And Pharaoh said, <laughs> Not going to happen. Well, we know about the locusts and the frogs and the water turning red. And matter of fact, every single plague that God brought on the Egypt was specific to one of the Egyptian gods. It was God showing his dominance and his, his aliveness and being alive and a God that is living and active, attacking each of the gods of Egypt. So he completely dominates them and on this landscape. And finally, Pharaoh's had enough. He can't take any more because it ends up costing his own family. So he says, leave, go. And so they pack up, and, and estimations, archaeologists have kind of figured out there's probably about 1.5 million people, Hebrew people, that Moses had to move through this transitional period to get them from Egypt into this promised land that they didn't know where it was. It should only have taken about a week. But there was a guy in charge, and he didn't stop and ask for directions. And it took them 40 years to get where they needed to go. Okay? They just kept, didn't we pass this mountain already? Nah, 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 we're going to keep going. We just, isn't that like the fourth time that we've passed that mountain? Nah, it was different. Isn't this like the 15th time that we've passed that mountain? Because I'm pretty sure that tree was small when we started. Now it's this big tree. And they just kept going in circles. And what would happen is God would say, listen, they complained. They mumbled. There's all kinds of things that happened in the wilderness that they just weren't pleased. And God finally said, you know what? We're just going to kill off an entire generation and we'll start fresh then. How about that? Because the people that moved from Egypt had never known anything but slavery. They, they didn't know what freedom was. They'd never had that before. That's why when you read the book of Leviticus, you're going, wow. Thank God for the gospel. 
that we don't have to live under the old law and start worried about all the Levitical code. You guys read Leviticus? I know y'all are pretty holy. Y'all probably been spending your time, quiet time in that. Like, you know, you got mildew on something. You got to cleanse that for seven days. You got to do this and pray over it. And then you know, what, it's all kinds of weird stuff. That's because the laws were given to them because they didn't know how to govern themselves and work. They had always been under the power of somebody else. So God establishes this law. But they find themselves in a wilderness. Now, they're thinking God's going to pull us out of here and he's going to put us in this promised land. So we're excited for the promised land. But how many of you know that the place that God brings you to the place that he wants to take you is a place of transition and it's often called our wilderness? Y'all ever been there? I mean, I, I, can, I can think of numerous points in life where I've felt like we have been in a wilderness in our family that I have been in a wilderness. And, and we don't like the wilderness, do we? We like mountaintop experiences. Because when we're on the mountaintop, it's like, look, what, look, at, look at this. This is amazing. But can I tell you, there's a beauty in the wilderness because when you're in the wilderness, it causes you to have to look up and recognize the grandeur of the mountains that are around you. Oftentimes, it's in the wilderness that God wants to move, God wants to do something. But what will happen is, that we will tend to forget that he is with us in the wilderness and we'll start worrying about all the elements and we'll find ourselves complaining. We'll find ourselves trying to be self-sufficient and we will completely forget about the God who has led us there and who is with us there, before us, behind us, beside us, under us, over us, fully surrounded. Am I, am I hitting on anything? Anybody, could you testify that you've been there? That's been a point. Maybe some of you are there now. There's this wilderness. What do I do in the wilderness? Do I just complain and try to hope that this, this too shall pass? Let me tell you something. The wilderness is a fertile breeding ground for spiritual growth, but we miss it. Because we live in a place to where everything's just got to feel right. We go off of our feelings and what it should look like and how I should feel. But God has placed us in the desert. There were so many places that he could have led them. But he allowed them to go to the wilderness because the wilderness was a place that he wanted to do some work. It was not a final destination, but it was a necessary middle space that was, he was going to use to form his people, that he was going to use to establish this connection with him. Yeah, Egypt was a land of slavery, but hear me out. It was a land of slavery, it was a land of suffering, it was a land of agony, but it also had some really good things. It, it was lush vegetation. They had rich waters in the Nile River. Anything they needed, there was water there. The vegetables were there. Everything in Egypt was flourishing. And God says, I'm going to send you to a promised land. And when you get to that promised land, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Everything that you could possibly need. Today, Israel produces some of the greatest vegetables and they're growing them in a desert. Now, how many of you have tried to plant vegetables in your backyard and they just did not go well? Anybody? All right, so I'm not the only one that cannot grow anything. I have no green thumb whatsoever. But God has given them, even to this day, the richness of the soil. They can't explain it, but I can because the Bible says that God put them in this place of fertile land. And God says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But between these two places of, of, of substance, there's a wilderness place. And the land in the middle, the wilderness, is, is a formation 
for the people. It's a place that God intended for them to be. It's a transition place from a people of slavery to a people of God. Because here's the thing. Don't miss the gospel message in this. You and I have been slaves to sin. And if we don't learn how to live as free people of the gospel, we will always be enslaved in the sin. And when we get in the wilderness, we will not know how to thrive in the wilderness. Because we'll get cut in the here and the now. So in the desert, God wants to reveal himself to his people. He wants to demonstrate power to his people. And he wants to show the Israelites that you can trust me as your God. These are the things that when we go in these times of transitions, that God is saying, you can trust me as your God. But you're going to have to look up and lock eyes with me. And we're going to go some places that you're probably going to feel uncomfortable. And we're going to do some things that aren't going to feel like they always have. They're not going to look like the things that you grew up on because I am leading you and I am doing a new work among you. Anybody can testify to that. Because God is not trying to put us in a place to make us feel bad. He is trying to put us in a place to develop us. He is more concerned with your character than you think he is. He's not worried about the comfort. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says this. Moses writes, remember, that's the key to the wilderness. If you can't remember what God has done for you in the past, the wilderness will not be a good place for you. Because when you're going through these times, you need to re recognize that your hope is anchored in what God has done for you in the past. That He has been good. We came out of a pandemic. We're here. Our church is here. Do you know how many churches cannot say that? There are a lot of them that have shut down. I met a pastor. He was from New York. And he says, man, the epicenter of all the stuff that was going on. In the first three weeks of the pandemic, he preached 15 funerals in his church. They had just gotten a brand new building, couldn't use it. So we just started preaching on the street. People had a living room, he would do church in a living room. He would meet in the backyard. He said, we, we were just evangelizing everybody. He said, there were pigeons flying over, and we just started praying for the pigeons to come to Jesus too. When the pandemic began to, to, to ease up, they were getting ready to move into the building. They were super excited about the building. He got a phone call one night. They said, Pastor Mike, our church is on fire. The whole block started at the KFC, went all the way down the block in New York. Never, never got to worship. Our whole church went. I got people, 15 people died in our church of COVID. The church is gone. He said, I just wanted to give up, just wanted to quit. He said it was a wilderness. It was a wilderness experience is what he's describing. He said, we finally got in there. He said, you know, when the fire department comes in, they've got one thing on their mind when they enter a building. That's to save people. They don't care about your stuff. All their stuff is destroyed. So they had to spend time just rebuilding their church. And they get it rebuilt. And they're excited. But then New York got something that you and I are most, we're, we, we just laugh at them. Hurricanes. Category five, we might want to leave. Four, we're going to ride this thing out. That's how we roll. We got the milk and bread. We're good. But he said the hurricane comes through. And it dumps so much water on them. And it ripped the roof of their church right off and flooded the whole thing out. And he's like, God, what, I've, all, that's all the plagues now. And he said it was a, a wilderness-type experience. We, we've preached 15 funerals of people who have passed away from COVID. Our church burns down. We have nowhere to meet. We get it back. 
the roof blows off. But God was, he says, that he looks back on that and realizes that every single little step, God was faithful. And I'm thinking, I was so concerned and worried about the stuff that we were going through, if we were going to make it. But I'm very thankful we didn't preach any funerals because of COVID. I'm thankful that the roof did not blow off this place, which it wouldn't be our insurance anyway. But, you know, I'm a believer, and so I would claim an act of God um, for the insurance. But he says this, you better, you better remember. Remember how the Lord your God led you through that wilderness for these, these 40 years. And listen to these words. Remember how he was humbling you and how he was testing you to prove your, what is that word? To prove your character. I, I, just, I was talking to some, our seniors that were here at St. John's. Uh, we were just having like this little in, impromptu just kind of discussion. And I said, can I give you all some life advice? Y'all are all super talented. But talent will not keep you at the table. It's your character that will keep you at the table. Work harder developing your character than you do your talent because I will hire you off your character more than I will your talent because your character is what God is most concerned about. Right? And he says that he was there to, to test you, to prove your character. And, see, God doesn't just let us go through things. It shows us that the desert and the wilderness thing was a purpose. He says... That you were there so that I could find out whether or not you would even obey my commands. I want to know. If I'm going to put you in this place of promise, I need to know that you're going to obey the commands that I've given you. Because I'm giving you something. You don't want to give your children large stacks of cash without some guidance, right? They're not ready for that. You don't give them the keys to the car. They're not ready for that. And he says, listen, I want to make sure that you can obey these commands because it's going to be a promised land, but you're going to have to fight for it. And they're going to have to fight battle after battle. And here's what I love about that, and we miss it, but they fight battle after battle. And once they get one land conquered, some of the people from that, that group, they go with the next group, and they continue working side by side, helping each other to conquer the promised land. He says, so you got to obey the commands. So, so hear me out. He says, yes. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Whoa. God let him go hungry? Yeah. But don't forget about the promise. Because they woke up every morning and God gave them bread. They had manna. And when they got sick of manna, God gave them quail. And you know what they did about the manna and the quail? They complained about it. I mean, think about it. Chicken minis all the time, on command, and they complain about it. Can't make anybody happy. He said he humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then he fed you with manna, a food that was previously unknown to you and your ancestors. I gave you something new you didn't even know about. He said he did it to teach you that the people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word of God that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that verse sound familiar? Does it sound like a New Testament passage or something that Jesus said when he was being tempted? He says, for all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out, did they? Did your clothes wear out? Did, you, did your roof blow off your, your building? Did you die? This is what he's asking. Did your feet, I love this, did your feet blister and swell? Here's, here's when you read that, here's what God's trying to say. I wasn't just looking out after the whole thing. I was looking at after even the smallest of details. You ever had a blister on your foot? Does that not affect the way things happen? Does it not affect your whole attitude all of a sudden? Oh my gosh, I remember I got a toothache one time. 
and it hurt, but my attitude was awful. I was just mad about everything. Who, who moved my pen off my desk? Oh, I did. Why'd you move? And I start fussing at myself. He's looking at you for the small thing. So let, let me, in Deuteronomy 6, I want to give you three quick, very quick things. I, I, I messaged these things out to you a while ago. You probably didn't see them, so I'm going to preach on them just so you make sure you got them, and you could read a blog about it on our website. But this morning, let me give you three quick observations from the wilderness. You ready? Here's number one. The wilderness is a time of preparation, and you've got to framework this thing. The wilderness is not a place of punishment. It's not a place where God's trying to come after us. The wilderness is a place that God wants to use to prepare us. The question is, will you allow him to prepare you because he wants to make sure, are you going to obey my commands? See, I, I know a lot of times in the Christian life, once the pressure is applied, and Pastor Hal talked about this last week when he says that we will be obedient all the way up to the point where we start to feel like it's a little uncomfortable. But what happens if God is giving us that place to be uncomfortable that we would push through because he is on the other side ready to deliver on the promise that he's given us? And that sometimes we will stop because we don't see the preparation. We just see it as, this is uncomfortable, I'm ready to pull back. The wilderness prepared Jesus. So before Jesus was healing people, before he was turning water into wine, Jesus finds himself in a wilderness with Satan. And, and he's being tempted. And then we find people like John the Baptist, who was rough around the, ages, uh, the, the edges. John the Baptist is hanging out in the wilderness. This is where he spends his time in the Judean wilderness. He spends his ministry preaching up and down the, the Jordan River. And in Deuteronomy, the Lord used the wilderness to humble Israelites, test the character of the Israelites, and determine if they would obey my commands before the promised land. There had to be a place of preparation. Because sometimes we want things when we're not ready for them. God has things for us that he has not given us and unleashed those things to us because we are not ready. Have we put ourselves in a position to be prepared for God to give us the things that he needs? And by the way, the things that he wants to give us aren't all these riches. The things that he wants to give us is the empowerment and the tools needed to continue to advance the kingdom of God. The, the, the church doesn't grow to the level that God wants it to if you pull back and aren't willing to be prepared. If you aren't sitting under His Word, reading His Word, hearing from Him, we miss it. And we're in the wilderness and we go through hard times and we spend all of our time complaining. And I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not coming after you. I'm preaching to myself because I will find myself in uncomfortable situations and I will immediately start trying to become a negotiator with God. I don't think you want to do this. This is uncomfortable. I can find a thousand other things to do rather than this. And God's like, cool. Where were you when I created the world and the foundations? <laughs> Y'all ever been in that conversation with God? And he pulls one of those things out. Like, God, you don't understand how painful this is. Yeah, I mean, tell me about it, man. I, I remember that time that I got nails driven through my hands and my feet. Um, that was pretty bad. That was bad. I don't, but no, go ahead and tell me how bad it hurts. See, God wants to get us to the place where we can consciously in our minds, in our emotions, in our wills, with our bodies, acknowledge and admit our utter and absolute dependence on him. That God, you are all that I need. That's why he said, well, tell me about your feet and the blisters. Because I even looked after the smallest of details for you. I had you taken care of. 
God has the best intentions for us. And oftentimes that we think that, that God doesn't know what He's doing with us in our lives because we feel like we should do this. But God's like, no, I created you before you were even born. I knitted you in your mother's womb. I knew what you needed to do. I prepared a path for you. He wants us to recognize His Word. And we got to trust who He is. Here's the, here's the second thing. And I'd ask you this question too. Has God used the wilderness to prepare you? Has he used it to prepare you? Have you seen it? Have you missed it? Maybe looking back, you're going, you know, now that I think about that situation, I can see where he was guiding and I can see where he was teaching. I know this all sounds like, are we just trying to see life and ignore the bad? No, we're not trying to. What we're trying to do is put it in perspective of the gospel. This is called a, a, a biblical worldview. <clears throat> Here's the second thing. It's not just a place of preparation. The wilderness is also a time of provision. This is the part that I like, God providing. Being in the wilderness is a time where the things that we cling to go away. <laughs> Anybody want to testify to that? Y'all had some things go away? Thought, this, this is good, like we're, we're stable. And it's like, whoa, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. I thought this job was secure. I thought this, um, this relationship was going to stay there. And then you realize, maybe, maybe, maybe not, like you, you, you lose it. And being in a wilderness is when things cling, that we cling to tend to, to go away because God will often use things to strip us. You know, ever heard this quote that grace must wound before it heals? You, you, a lot of things need to be stripped away. I've got these rose bushes in, in front of our house, and, and we had some in our old house that, that grew. I, by the way, again, I'm not green thumb. I kill everything that I touch when it comes to a plant. But for some reason, these things just kept growing beautifully. And I was like, wow, what, what am I doing? And I realized I'm, I'm not doing anything. I just cut them when they get too tall. But if I don't cut them, they don't get to the bloom that they need to be. They got to be pruning back. There's pain in the pruning, right? But there's often times that God's like, I'm trying to prune and get rid of the sin in your life so that something beautiful can grow there. And this is the provision. I mean, how much has God provided for you? Because he gives, and the second part of that is the part that I don't like, he takes away. Verse 4 tells us that for all these 40 years, he says your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't blister, they didn't swell. God provides in the smallest things. And with every provision that God gives, our faith should be growing because we realize he loves us and cares for us. When Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, he says in Luke 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds. In other words, the birds don't even do anything. They're just here, right? But your heavenly Father feeds them. He makes sure that they're taken care of. And I don't know, like, if this was preached, like, Jesus is just out there talking, and then he see some birds fly over, and he's like, oh, what, what about these birds? God even makes sure that they get food and that they're fed. And I love what Jesus says here. Are you not more valuable than they are? Think about that. Don't, don't move past that verse. Let that sink in. Are you not more valuable than that? What is Jesus saying about you? You're his. The father has called you the adopted son and daughter of the king. You have value. You have value. Jesus says that the creator cares for the birds. He cares passionately about providing for you. Here's, here's the last thing. 
the wilderness is a time where you'll experience God's presence. Because you'll have to. Because when everything else is fleeting and gone, there is only one constant. And that is the Father. Because He never moves, He never leaves, never forsakes you. Everything else will go away. Money will leave, jobs will leave, friendships will leave. There will be a time when we pass away and everything that we've ever worked for will be gone. We won't have anything. It will all burn. It will all end up in goodwill. And like I said, somebody will inherit your golf clubs and they will end up playing better golf than you did and that will make you not happy. God went before them as a cloud by day and he goes by them by fire at night. By the way, this is pointing us to the day of Pentecost, which is next Sunday, that the Spirit would come with fire and wind. In verse 20 says, The Lord led you through the wilderness. This is the promise of the presence of God. The most powerful way for you to see God's presence is to look back at what he's done. What he's done. Sometimes you just need to have a moment to look back and go, I'm not where I want to be. But when I look back, I'm a lot further than where I used to be. Y'all ever had to do that? Like, I remember, I remember the first time I preached. Um, sermon, and y'all probably would like this, and you're like, I wish you'd go back to that. First time I preached, my sermon, three points. They all rhymed. Ten-minute sermon. Ten minutes. And I'll tell you why it was ten minutes. It took me five minutes to get through the first three points. And I looked at my watch and realized it's only five minutes. So I preached it again. I went back through it. I said, hey, I just want to make sure y'all guys understood. Let's go back to point one. And then 10 minutes after preaching and re-preaching, the choir came back up. They sang. We left. And this very nice gentleman came up to me. He's like, you did a great job. We would love to have you back next week. I was like, man, I might be on to something here. So I was telling my youth pastor about it. He goes, yeah, because you preached for 10 minutes. They got to go home early. They would love to have you back every week. And they didn't pay you. That was even better. Man, I look back and think, God, I'm, I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. Aren't you glad you're not where you used to be? Because there, there was a point where I used to be far from God. The Bible would say that I was an enemy of God. Man, I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. God's promise is the presence. His presence is the promise that fills us with wonder and with peace. He's always watching over us. He always wants to bless. He always wants to protect. He goes to crazy lengths to ensure our relationship. So he goes with us through the wilderness. So my question with this is, has God been present with you in your wilderness season? And you may have to ponder that. And, and if you say yes, I would ask you this. Specifically, where have you been at? You may say, I haven't gone through a wilderness. I'm going to give you some good news and some bad news. You ready? Here's the bad news. We all go through a wilderness. Graduates, let me just tell you, you will go through wilderness season. It will typically come in your first semester when you realize I should probably be studying. Right? Get that in the first semester. Don't wait until a year and a half in like I did and realize, huh, Xbox is not an exam. The bad news, we all go through the wilderness, but here's the good news. A wilderness season is a place of preparation, a place of provision, 
and a place for his presence. And if we can frame it that way, y'all, we can make it. We could change the world with that because that's the gospel message, is it not? That God prepared a way when there was no way. He was himself the provision, the sacrifice for all sins. And his presence has been the promise that he goes with us, before us, behind us, beside us, over us, and under us. He is our presence. So, knowing that framework, the wilderness is a season. But don't get lost in the, in the valley without looking up and seeing the mountaintop. Because God does his best work in the wilderness. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that we are probably, some of us are probably in wilderness seasons. But I pray today would be an encouragement that everything will be reframed and we will see that you are at work there. That God, you want to provide, you want to give provision for those things. So I just pray here in these moments as we sing and worship you. I just pray that that we would hear from your spirit, God, that you would give us things that we need to be obedient to right now. And God, that even in this moment as we sing, that we would just think back on the times of your goodness to us. And I pray in these moments that we would clearly hear from your Holy Spirit. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing.